I want to open this up with a prayer that I've been learning. Um, I do a thing called Lectio 365, and it's practicing the Lectio Divina, which is a way of praying. And um, every night, I hit play on my phone, and these words are prayed over me as I'm falling asleep. And I just wanted to share them with you today. Come, Holy Spirit, to my mind. I receive your comfort. Come, Holy Spirit, to my heart. I receive your peace. Come, Holy Spirit, to my soul. I receive the Father's love for me. Amen. Um, before I get started, I, I don't know if you know this, but I am not Pastor Jim. And he and I have a thing going. He thinks that he can out crazy sock me. Like, he says, I have a pretty good collection. I said, oh, no, Jim, <laughs> you do not have a good selection. He says, no, I have a pretty good selection. Well, today's selection, I want you to tell me if you think Jim has anything nearly this good. What's up? What's up? Yes, ma'am. It's a cat in honor of my daughter-in-law's mother, who thinks cats are the meow, as it were. Have you ever gone someplace that you know how to get to, but you end up going to the wrong place? You end up going in the wrong direction. Maybe it's a place you've been to a million times before in the past, and you just lose your way. You don't go to the, the correct place. True story. Tucson, technically it's south of Phoenix, but it's I-10 west to get from Phoenix to Tucson, because I-10 goes like this around Arizona and then goes straight across the country into Florida. Well, I had some friends when I was in women's ministries there who went to Phoenix to go to an Amy Grant concert. So they went east, which was, they went east up to Phoenix. They've made the trip to Phoenix a million times. Well, they got back in the car and they were so excited and they were laughing and talking and hooting it up. And they went east on I-10 to come home west to Tucson, and they were having so much fun that they didn't realize it for two hours. <laughs> and they ended up in a little town in California called Blythe. Blythe is exactly what it sounds like. Kind of like blot on the face of the earth. The first time I drove through Blythe, I was going east on I-10 to get to San Bernardino where my mother lived, and I drove through this town and I went, oh my goodness, this is the ugliest town I've ever seen. All the buildings were from the 40s and were made like cement block and painted kind of mint green. You know, like the army came in and set up shop and then went, oh, we're done with Blythe. And all I can think of is that passage in scripture is, can any good thing come from Blythe? <laughs> Sometimes that happens to the best of us. They, have, they eventually called home at about 2 a.m. and said, oh, we're in Blythe, we're coming home now, we'll see you in four hours. And they made it home. But this was a group of women that were desperately in need of a shepherd, or at least a really good GPS to get them home. <laughs> or a sense of east from west and north and south. I mean, that's what they needed. Didn't happen that way. This psalm is for people who, like David, are experiencing major upheaval in their life. We all know the 23rd Psalm. 
We've probably memorized it at elementary school and have been repeating it, that and the Lord's Prayer, almost daily in our lives. We just, we just know it. It's ingrained in us. But I want to bring some things out that perhaps you don't know about the 23rd Psalm. Maybe you have kids that are rebelling. I don't. I have practically perfect children in every way and grandchildren who are even more practically perfect. They're also here today, so I say that in all honesty, nothing else. Perhaps you're in a long-standing relationship that's kind of breaking up. This psalm was written for you, and the psalm was written for me. My life is going pretty good. I, have, I really have no complaints about my life right now. But I still desperately need a shepherd. So I'm going to read to you out of the New King James Version, the 23rd Psalm, because it's the closest to the version that we all know. I just couldn't quite do King James Version. But I have the New King James Version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff that comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's look at the circumstances briefly about this psalm. David was in big trouble. In our family, we call it deep yogurt. David was in deep yogurt. And he needed help in a really bad way. Um, we know from the 15th chapter of 2 Samuel, there is a recorded an instance in David's life where his own son, Absalom, Absalom, oh Absalom, um, rebelled against him and drove them into the Judean wilderness, and he toppled David from the throne. David was forced to flee with his family and servants, and for a period of time, he was unable to reclaim his throne. He was just out on his own with nothing going his direction. Perhaps because so much of his life was spent in his younger years as a shepherd, um, his mind immediately turned to the need for a shepherd in these perilous times. His son was trying to kill him. He had his family and his close servants with him. They were hiding out in a cave. They had no food, they had no water, things were bleak. And it's at this time that David wrote this psalm. Dictionary.com, I, I thought I'd go to a really important source like Webster's, but I chose Dictionary.com because I want you to know what even the world thinks a shepherd is, okay? Shepherds, a person who herds, tends, and guards sheep. Okay, I can get behind that. Shepherds. A person who protects, guides, or watches over a person or a group of people. The best shepherd I have ever known in my life as a pastor is David McMinn. He absolutely was a shepherd to Neil and I when we desperately needed shepherding. We were brand new in this town, and it, it was Texas. Y'all, I grew up in Southern California, and this was Texas. There are three things I swore I would never, ever do, <laughs> ever. I would never be a missionary in Africa. I spent two weeks on a short-term mission trip in Africa. I would never become a Southern Baptist. 
And instead, I was ordained as a Southern Baptist minister. And then I, oh, I forgot what the third one was. <laughs> just, you know, it's just gone. <laughs> that was it. See? Thank you. Thank you, Amy. I swore I would never, ever, 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 ever live in Texas. And then my kids got married to each other and immediately moved to Texas. And then they gave birth to our grandchildren, and it was a no-brainer. We loved them, but we adored the grandkids. So off to Texas we were. So I'm a Southern Baptist missionary who's been to Africa and now resides in Texas. So maybe I'm a Southern Baptist missionary in the Methodist Church. I don't know. But a shepherd, uh, dictionary.com says, is also Jesus Christ. Now, I thought that was fascinating that a very secular uh, site would link a shepherd to Jesus Christ. And that's because even the world that does not know God looks at Jesus as the great shepherd. So think of Jesus as we're going through these things about a shepherd. There are four things that, that we learn in this psalm. First, that God's care is providential. It means he provides. God gives good, 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 good things. He begins a statement with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. I shall not want. It literally means I shall not be in want. And there's nothing that I need that he will not provide for me. Nothing. There may be things I need, or there may be things I want, but if I need it, he'll provide it because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Some of my wants might be outside of my needs. That's debatable whether he'll provide those. Um, it's simple. There's an, there's an emphasis on the loneliness and despair and frustration in our life, then the Lord is not our shepherd. If we're wandering around and we know God and we know Jesus, and yet we're wandering around alone and afraid, then we are not following the shepherd. We have not acknowledged the shepherd's work in our life. Ask yourself, what is shepherding you? Is it your job? If your vocation shepherds you, then there is restlessness and feverish activity in trying to accomplish things and get things in frustration. If education is your shepherd, there's a lot of disillusionment. I, I, I graduated from, from college, and I can tell you that they don't know everything. They know some stuff, but not everything. If, if you're a person, another person is your shepherd. If, you, I, if I put all my hopes and dreams of how Neil can fulfill, that's my husband, can fulfill me, then I'm going to be disillusioned because he's not perfect. He's really close, but he's not perfect. I need a shepherd that can shepherd my heart and my mind and my soul. I need a shepherd who can shepherd all of me, and that takes the Holy Shepherd. That takes Jesus Christ. If Jehovah is to be our shepherd, then we must begin by recognizing that we are sheep. This is a hard thing to swallow, so I, I want you to put on your big girl and your big boy pants and take it like a man or a woman that you are. Sheep are stupid. What does God call us? Sheep. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of offended by that. I mean, the God of the universe calls me a sheep, and I am one. He goes, he goes on uh, to, Ray Steadman in his book, Psalms of the Faith, says that sheep are by far and away the most stupid animals on the planet Earth. 
He goes on to describe them as dumb, dirty, timid, defenseless, and helpless. They literally do not know to come in out of the rain. Kind of like the chicken with their head cut off and will just keep looking up and having rain fall down their gullet. That's the sheep. They'll just look up and let the water run right up their nose. Sheep are not bright animals. And yet we're called sheep. Because we have to have a shepherd to guide us and to lead us. It also says that um, there's, a, there's, a, there's an old hymn called um, Come Thou Found, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. Okay, so what does it say? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Sort of off key. Thank you. I'm really an alto, but I tried to hit that soprano note. But we are prone to wander. We need a shepherd that's going to go after us and will chase us and will pursue us. I'm a sheep, and I know my tendency towards self-individualism and going my way. The second thing God provides besides direction is he provides refreshment. Okay? He says he... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Don't you think if you were smart enough to be a sheep to follow a shepherd, you would lie down in the green pastures? But it says he makes us. And that's what we humans do. We follow so many things and we run after so many things and we're trying to accomplish so many things and we're trying to do great things for God and great things for our church, great things for our family, that we're running around like crazy. And the shepherd says, stop. Lie down, rest. What would it feel like in your soul right now if you were to really rest? He leads us to the green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. You know why they're still? Because sheep are so stupid, they're afraid of any ripple in any water anywhere. They can't drink from streams They can't drink from a pond that someone's throwing rocks in. They certainly can't drink from lakes because there's too much movement and the wind's moving it. It has to be still. And isn't that when we meet God the most? Is when things are still. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He restores my soul. And he lets me drink in still waters. And the shepherd knows where the green pasture is. The shepherd knows where the still water is. The sheep are too stupid to know where the water is or where the pasture is. They need a shepherd that will guide them. And that's our third point, is guidance. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He gives us direction in life. An alternate reading indicates that he leads me in right paths. The Hebrew word here, translated paths, means a well-defined, well-worn trail. This again indicates how dumb we are. It's well, you're going from Tucson to Phoenix and Phoenix to Tucson. You're 90 miles apart. You get on I-10, you get off I-10. You go east, then you go west. Until you go east, and then you go east, and you end up in Blythe. It's a well-worn path. I-10 has traveled lots of cars every single day. And yet, the sheep need to be led. They need to be told where to go. 
We have to make countless decisions every day in our life. And when we follow Christ, we have countless decisions offered to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We follow the right paths. We must know, we must obey God to know what God's will is for us. Probably God's will is already revealed to us 95% of the time. It's in the Word of God. So if you surround yourself with the Word of God, you read the Word of God, and then you surround yourself with people who love God and pray for you and want the best for you, then you're going to stay on the right path. That's the shepherd working in our lives. The third thing is, is it's the peace of God. The shepherd brings his peace. He, it's about all those areas that we don't get specific information about. Should I move into this house? Should I go here? Should I take this job? What, what shall I do? How do I help heal this friendship? How do I restore joy in my marriage? What, what do I do? I don't know. But the shepherd knows. And the shepherd longs to pour into us so that we have the peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, a few sermons ago, I I told you about the fact that my daughter died when I was uh, 27 weeks pregnant, and she lived for 32 minutes. And that did not make sense to me at all. It was beyond my understanding why, why my first child would die. And yet, God gave me peace that surpassed my understanding. I still don't understand to this day why Nancy's in heaven and not here on earth with me, irritating her little brother. I don't know, but I have perfect peace that she is with the Lord, and the Lord has granted me perfect peace in the knowledge that he knows what he's doing, and it was for my best and for her best. The peace of God. When things don't go as planned, we often second-guess God, but God wants us to know his will even more than we want to know it. I have a friend named Julie. I uh, was in the high school college group at my church in San Diego, and Julie was one of the counselors, and we loved Julie, and we watched Julie fall in love with Mike. Julie was righteous after God. She loved the Lord. And when she and Mike fell in love, they prayed hard and long about whether they should marry, and they finally married, and I remember attending the wedding, and it was great, because, you know, here we were watching love bloom. And then about five years later, Mike decided he didn't want to be married anymore. He just quit. He just walked away. Did Julie make a wrong decision five years earlier? Nope. I think it was perfectly within the will of God that those two get married. But you can't control the other person. The other person has free will. And if they choose to quit God, you have to choose to continue to follow God. And to follow hard after him. The fourth thing that this psalm tells us is that he provides protection for us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David's painting a really picturesque scene here. Um, the, the, sheep, the shepherd is leading the sheep back home at evening and they go down through a narrow gorge and the long shadows cross the path and now the sheep are terrified. Because remember, if they won't drink out of anything but still water, how do you think they're going to walk a path that is, in, that is steep and in shadow? And yet, don't we all have to do that in life? Walk through the shadows? Sometimes it's called walk through the shadows of the valley of death. 
If you've had a loved one die, you know what those shadows look like. That there's no reason to be afraid. He says that his rod and his staff, they comfort me. If I could have slide one. His rod and his staff comfort me. This is what a rod is a relatively heavy, short, club-like device. It really whacks good. Whack-a-mole, you could do that. The staff, you all know the shepherd's staff. Sorry, I get vertigo, so looking back and up at the same time is tough. <laughs> it's longer and thinner, and there's a hook or a crook on one end. Now, here's the thing to know. I once asked a class what the rod was for, and they said it's for, for God when he wants to discipline us. And the answer is, no! God would never use a club on you. He loves you. He's the good shepherd. The rod was a club to drive off the predators. It was used to beat back the mountain lions. It was, or as our, our Fred Allison said, it was used to beat back the dingoes. The rod was never used on the sheep. The staff was used on the sheep. And it was used to guide. If the sheep started going off the, the path, the shepherd would crook the leg and pull the sheep back up. Or maybe he tapped the side of the, the sheep on the side to say, hey, wrong direction, let's go this way. He never, ever used the club on the sheep. God will never lash out at you. He will never beat you. He will never guide you with a firm fist. But he will take that, that staff, and he will um, gently guide you. Can you show slide number two? Here's, here's how it looks. Okay, there's the club. Notice how bright the sheep looks? There's the sheep with the, with the staff rescuing him. Okay? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod is also used in our modern day against our enemy, who is Satan. God will use the rod on Satan to beat him back from us, from attacking us. He will never use the rod to discipline us. But we have two great enemies in our life. We have the evil one, and then we have our own selves. We are often our own worst enemies. God will never use the rod on you when you are your own worst enemy. He will use the staff to tap you, to guide you, to lead you, to help you walk in the path that you want to walk in, that you want to follow God in. Sometimes we think, oh, I have the secret area of sin and I keep doing it. I keep doing it and I keep doing it and I don't want to do it. And I know God is so mad at me now that he's going to bring out the weapon. He's going to bring out the rod. And God goes, no, Aaron, I'm going to call you back with my staff. He doesn't ever go, Aaron Lee, Dennis Girdler, whack! If anybody uses all four of my names, sweetheart, I know that I'm in trouble, you know? God never uses all four of our names in anything but love. And his staff will direct us. And finally... We have abundance. In verses 5 and 6, David changes his metaphor a little bit from the shepherd to the good and gracious host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This is coming straight out of that passage from uh, 2 Samuel where David was pushed off into the wilderness and he was being chased by Absalom. There were three men who came from other lands 
who gathered around David and brought him food and brought him sustenance and brought him protection. Okay? That's what, that's what um, David is talking about here. That when we feel like we're in a foreign land and we have no protection and we don't know which way to go or we don't have enough food to continue or we don't have the strength to continue, this is what he's talking about. He becomes our good host. And he says he anoints my head with oil. There's two reasons for anointing our head with oil. One is to anoint us for healing, for hope. But it's also to anoint the sheep to get rid of the flies that are in their eyes. You pour oil on the flies and it takes away the blindness and the constant batting away and gives you clarity and vision. He anoints your head with oil to bring you healing both physically and spiritually. He anoints your head with oil. And on a final note, I just want you to notice the word follow. It literally means um, follow you, and I will see, and good, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That means pursue. Jesus isn't just going, oh, oh, wait, there, oh, we're, oh, well. He pursues us. When we go off on the wrong path, he pursues us to bring us back into the fold. He pursues us. He doesn't just let us wander away. You can't outwander God. You can't outwander God. Uh, I had a pastor in uh, Tucson that I worked for, and he named his dog Shirley. And then he named his next dog Goodness. And then he named his next dog Mercy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Roger was a little odd. It's true worship when we can understand that we have a shepherd that loves us so much that he will pursue us to the ends of the earth to bring us safely home. That he will do nothing to cause us to lose sight of him. Father, thank you for this morning, for your love for us, for your watch care and for pursuing us literally to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that when we're prone to wander, you are even more prone to follow and to pursue us. Amen.